0: getting nuttier, nuttier and nuttier. So this straight up from, let's see, the, the video's from Fox News, but it's the pastor up in Canada, bravest man in North America. They finally caught him and it's kind of unbelievable what they're doing. Gestapo, He's calling them Gestapo, Gestapo psychopaths. psychopaths. They're arresting him on the street, Gestapo. on the I highway. Like the taser, they're dragging him away the Canadian police just dragging a pastor that man and pastor he appeared on Artur Fox News Pavlovsky
1: with joins me now pastor Laura Ingram
0: it's crazy um I, I blogged about him over the past few weeks and I'm everybody else has as well where the armed police meet him at his church door and he screams at them calling them Nazi gestapo which Really, that's what they are. You didn't think that we would make it to another time where police would be shuttering a church under the guise of public safety and health with COVID nineteen and the the coronavirus. This man has you know publicly been fighting them, and he's out of jail right now, from what I understand. But it's just it's just nuts. There was another. I don't believe this is the same church. Um, the Church of God in Almer, or Eilmer, I don't know how they pronounce that up in Canada. But there was another church service where the police came and marched in. And they shut them down, shut them down, and then locked the doors. Uh, there's a video on Twitter. In this video here, you could hear the, the congregation singing. And in the video, you've got maybe about 10 police officers walking down the driveway. They didn't park in in the parking lot of the church but they're marching uh, you know it, it would be great if they were goose stepping but they're just marching uh, through the parking lot through the driveway and they're heading towards the church the person taking the video is just right now he's outside in the parking lot and he's showing the police coming the police are armed um, believe it or not they have their flak jackets on they do not have helmets at least no so right here Here's their narration. So you got the church. It's a conservative Christian church, it seems. Um, They almost look like they're Amish, but, you know, these are harmless people. And they're singing their church hymns. And the police are outside um, with their warrants and their guns as a group of uh, parishioners are all videotaping the events. It's all kind of crazy to think that this is Canada. So here, let's see, we'll forward the video a little bit. You got the uh, the pastor saying that he's going to be praying for the police yeah, 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 yeah. saying that they don't know what they're doing you know obviously they don't these are supposed to be members David of the community Miller, David Miller, he's a you're supposed to have religious freedom in Canada
1: officer, known as a
0: here's the police have a officer
1: court order here today requiring the sheriff that's me and the assistance of the police to vacate everyone from the building and we will be locking the building i'd ask for your assistance in this, and everyone
0: leave, please. An order no, it was peaceful. Time. Nobody raised a hand. Nobody Some really protested anything. Well. You know, they, it was all verbal but by the pastor. But yet they're in the church the with bulletproof if vests on please, and God, guns in order end to end shut down end. a church service. Yes. So everybody moved out, um, left the building peacefully. Um, then the pastor gave a little speech in front of the front of the church doors, and then as the congregation uh, met outside, he um, proceeded to continue to preach. Our
1: God-given freedoms came by the church, came by the Christians, and when the Christians fell asleep and they let these things slip, this is what happens, and this is the beginning of it. This is nobody thought it. that this God, was going to happen. It was God, We were all
0: t- that we t- told violent. that we were all ridiculous for 14 conspiracy months, theorists. For 14
1: months I've preached.
0: But here it is. I, I haven't seen it in the United Watch States, but in Canada, what- in Canada, in Canada it's a definite thing now. So they are shutting down churches, they are locking the doors in the name of public health. Uh, nobody is allowed to take risks uh, for themselves or assess things themselves. And as it, part of what's going on, Uh, I'm living in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And, you know, uh, Georgia right now in the United States is famous for uh, it's only 25% of the population being vaccinated. So 75% of people here are withholding, waiting, or just plain not going to get it for some reason. So the the reports in the news in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution have all been surrounding guilting people into getting a vaccination and there's a story that happened today that appeared in the newspaper today i did not blog these things yet because they were just fresh um reporting about how things are opening up and about how uh people spent spent the day like without without their masks here's one here uh adrian uh greskowitz uh She arrived at the Great Harvest Bread Company in Milton wearing a mask. Uh, I guess previous. it says here, on Thursday she would have worn a mask, but Friday was different. Less than 24 hours after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention significantly relaxed COVID-19 guidelines for vaccinated Americans, she shed her face covering. It's liberating, she said. Who is vaccinated? It's just a little more comfortable to be out really. So, uh, you know, you know, when you've walked into a place and people are behaving normal over a disease that 99.9% not only survive, but, you know, really don't have lasting complications from this. And you see people acting normal, and you're and and you have a reaction to it. You've been propagandized into fear. So this whole this whole story is about different people throughout uh, Atlanta, about how they're vaccinated and now they're they feel so good that the CDC has given them permission to go out and about and take off their mask. Now you got some people as well. They're saying, well. I'm vaccinated, but I don't know who else out there isn't. We don't know. There's a lot of people unvaccinated. So what sense does it make? What logical sense does it make that if you have been vaccinated against a disease and you run into somebody that has not been vaccinated, who's at risk? Why would you be at risk? Why why would you continue to wear a mask if the other person isn't vaccinated. We all have choices now. The vaccines are all out there. They're free. You can make an appointment and go get them. As a matter of fact, there are more vaccines out there than people that want to get them. So it's, th- this is now this now comes down to a personal choice. If you don't want to get it, you don't have to get it. If you want to get it, go get it. There's nothing stopping you. You can protect yourself. If you feel you are at high risk, you can protect yourself. Uh, so there was another story about a group of scientists calling, uh, for further inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus. And I blogged about this one earlier in the week. Uh, I'm trying to find it now. Um, I got, let's see. I can't remember now where the heck it was, but yeah, there there were there was a uh, an article on Medium, and that one uh, covered. Oh wow! I you know I I I blogged more than I thought I did. I cannot find it right now. But I I remember it was an article on Medium, and it went through in detail, in great detail, whether or not the um, coronavirus was created in a lab or just found, found in nature. Where the heck is it? I can't believe I can't find it. I know I blogged it. Anyway, so it, this is reported in the New York Times, so hopefully there's something happening there. I, you know, if, uh, if the New York Times is jumping in on this bandwagon, something has to be up because they've been so uh, pro-WHO and so pro-nothing-to-see-here. Uh, this is something that uh, moved from a bat to people that it's, it's kind of surprising. So uh, 18 scientists stated Thursday in a letter published in the journal Science that there's not enough evidence to decide whether a natural origin or accidental laboratory leak caused the pandemic. And that's true. And the, the Medium article um, did say that, you know, there, there is no definitive proof one way or the other. But, the you know, if, if you're looking for a preponderance of evidence, uh, there are features of SARS-CoV-2 that have never been found in a wild-type virus. It's only been found in lab-created viruses, uh, viruses created to test uh, whether or not vi- you know a particular virus can be transmitted to people. So there seems to be a smoking gun, whether it will amount to anything, who knows, uh, but in other news, let's see. More scientists argue against the need, uh, against, uh, uh, or argue against the need for COVID-19 booster shots. So interviews in interviews with Reuters. This is from Yahoo Finance. More than a dozen influential infection, infectious disease, and vaccine development experts said there's a growing evidence that a first round of global vaccinations may offer enduring protection against the coronavirus and its most worrisome variants discovered to date. Some of these scientists expressed concern that public expectations around COVID-19 boosters are being set by pharmaceutical executives rather than health specialists. Follow the experts. Although many agreed that preparing for such a need as a precaution was prudent. So they had to sort of cover their ass with that one. So in other words, you know, a a booster shot is probably not going to be necessary, you know, but I I do suspect this is going to be the flu shot where every year every single year you're going to be pushed to get this let's move on to Arizona Arizona and the uh, audit things are what the heck is going on over I got a I got a dog making a lot of noise so I, I do this podcast in my office my home office and I keep the door closed I got three dogs in here and because if they hear stuff outside, then they're going to go running around and and maybe barking. So I try to keep it as quiet as possible. But my Labrador is for some reason, either having a dream or twitching uncontrollably, uncontrollably down there. Anyway, uh, the Arizona audit. Um, it's possible that Democrats could be in some trouble if the reporting on this is true so far. The Democrats are refusing to comply, uh, to comply with court subpoenas. And there are chain of custody anomalies and database deletions from hard drives, uh, which doesn't sound very good, does it now? So um, in this article from uh, reported uh, by Cheryl Atkinson, that's her name, Atkinson, I can never pronounce her name properly. Um, She says, according to a letter from Karen Fan, president of the Arizona State Senate, sent to the Maricopa Board of Supervisors, the county continues to flout valid legislative subpoenas refusing to hand over virtual images of routers. The county also has allegedly failed to provide the passwords necessary to access vote tabulation devices for the audit. A second issue flagged by the audit has to do with anomalies in chain of custody process for ballots. The letter says the country has yet to provide chain of custody documentation Bags for storing the ballots were not sealed, batch dividers are missing, and ballot boxes were sealed with regular tape rather than tamper-evident seals. The third issue mentioned is the alleged deletion of the entire database directory from the D drive of the machine EMS primary. That would mean subpoena data has been removed. According to the audit, there is no evidence that the main database for all election-related data for the 2020 general election has been moved. has has been removed. So there's some definite problems. Whether or not this amounts to anything, who knows, but it's just interesting nonetheless. Uh, We had Rand Paul coming out and coming uh, uh, after uh, St. Fauci again, which was kind of nice. And let's see here. Oh, wait, I think I found the article, the Medium article. Yeah, I titled it SARS-CoV-2 created by... uh, Nature or Nurture. And it was a science writer. <clears throat> and the the writer was previously a writer for the, uh, science writer for the New York Times, amongst other publications. And he looked at all the arguments for and against uh, SARS-CoV-2 being lab-created. The kicker is, though, nobody questioned the argument. Uh, it's a long, detailed article, and it is worth the read from from that article, um, here is quoting, what the heck is his name? I can't, you know, I didn't, I didn't put his name down. Anyway, the article is linked on my blog, so you can read it. It is a long read. Uh, from the article, science is supposedly a self-correcting community of experts who constantly check each other's work. So why didn't other virologists point out that the Anderson Group's argument was fully absurdly large, uh, full of absurdly large holes? perhaps because in today's universities, speech can be very costly. Careers can be destroyed for stepping out of line. Any virologist who challenges the community's declared view risks, having his next grant application turned down by the panel of fellow virologists that advises the government grant distribution agency. The Daszak and Anderson letters were really political, not scientific statements, yet were amazingly effective. Articles in the mainstream press repeatedly stated that a consensus of experts had ruled lab escape out of the question or extremely unlikely. Their authors relied, for the most part, on the Daszak and Anderson letters, failing to understand the yawning gaps in their arguments. Mainstream newspapers all have science journalists on their staff, as do major networks, and these specialist reporters are supposed to be able to question scientists and check their assertions, but the Daszak and Anderson assertions Went largely unchallenged. What else does this sound like? This sounds exactly like the climate change argument. Don't you think? You know, you have, there are scientists out there that challenge the premise of uh, the man made climate change argument. Some of them um, do admit that, you know, the earth is getting warmer, but they they say that there is not enough evidence as to whether or not man is responsible. And they also say they do not know if, in fact, it is a bad thing. But it's, it's difficult to get that kind of news out there. It's just flooded with the other uh, climate change is going to end the world. We need to stop it now, shut down all economic activity, which is also very similar to SARS-CoV-2 and COVID, the COVID mass hysteria. So, you know, if you're not allowed to question anything, what do we have? If you're not allowed to be skeptical and try to get down to the root cause, or maybe you have a different idea, or you have different evidence, if nobody's willing to look at it, you know, what, what's happening to us? So if if the heading back to COVID, if the SARS-CoV-2 virus was created in a lab, it may be that the American taxpayer funded it. How does that make you feel? And that the then I'll go back to the Rand Paul video because that's what this is about. In the Medium article, uh, this author says uh, by a strange twist in the story, uh, a scientist's work was funded by the NIH, or, or I'm sorry, the NIAIH. NIAID, too many acronyms. The National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and it's part of the NIH. And grant proposals funded her work, which are a matter of public record. Specifically, um, what she planned to do with the money. I'm sorry, specify <laughs> specify exactly what she planned to do with the money. Uh, the grants were assigned were assigned to the prime contractor, Dr. Dasik of the EcoHealth Alliance. He also helped. Uh, with the investigation as to whether or not this was lab-created, so there's a conflict of interest. And he subcontracted them to a Dr. Xi. The Dr. Xi is this doctor in China um, that is the chief person, I guess, that um, controls their coronavirus uh, research. Uh, Here are extracts from the grants for fiscal years 2018 and 2019. C O V Cove stands for coronavirus and S for protein, which refers to the virus's spike. Test predictions of uh, cove interspecies transmission. Predictive models of host range will be tested experimentally using reverse genetics, pseudovirus and receptor building assays, and virus infection experiments across a range of cell cultures from different species and humanized mice. We will use S protein sequence data Infectious Clone Technology, In-Vitro and In-Vivo Infection Experiments, and Analysis of Receptor Binding to Test the Hypothesis that Percentage Divergence Thresholds in S-Protein Sequences Predict Spillover Potential. He says, What this means, in non-technical language, is that Dr. Shi set out to create novel coronaviruses with the highest possible infectivity for human cells. Her plan was to take genes that coded for spike proteins— possessing a variety of measured affinities for human cells ranging from high to low. She would insert these spike genes one by one into the backbone of a number of viral genomes, reverse genetics and infectious clone technology, creating a series of chimeric viruses. These chimeric viruses would then be tested for their ability to attack human cell cultures and humanized mice. And this information would help predict the likelihood of spillover, the jump of a coronavirus from bats to people. So China's leading expert on bat viruses um, was funded by the NIH, quite possibly. But we can't investigate whether or not the virus came from her lab, Dr. Xi's lab, because her records are sealed So the now infamous lab in Wuhan, or Wuhan, they studied these viruses in their lab, and their safety precautions were a joke. This is also from the article. Before 2020, the rules followed by virologists in China and elsewhere required that experiments with the SARS-1 and MERS viruses be conducted in BSL-3 conditions. Uh, and I forgot what BSL stands for. I think it's biosafety level. So biosafety level three conditions. But all other bat coronaviruses could be studied in BSL-2. So these are the higher the number, the higher the protection level. The next, this is one level down from BSL-3. BSL-2 requires taking fairly minimal safety precautions such as wearing lab coat, uh, lab coats and gloves, not sucking up liquids in a pipette, and putting up biohazard warnings. Yet in a sign-of-function experiment, conducted in bsl2 uh, might produce an agent more infectious than either SARS-1 or MERS and if it did then lab workers would stand a high chance of infection especially if unvaccinated so much of her work on these gain-of-function coronaviruses now the the gain-of-function coronaviruses are the ones where they change the virus itself to see how it will infect or try to produce one that will infect a human being uh Eat more easily. Uh, She performed her uh, testing at BSL 2, and according to this author, uh, BSL 2, uh, it would pose an unacceptably high risk of infection because the standard the standard of safety, the biosafety level of BSL 2. Is equivalent to the standards used in a U.S. Denti- uh, dentist's office. So isn't that funny? Um, they're conducting experiments in a lab of highly infectious diseases, where they're not really taking any precautions. Uh, they're not wearing, you know, uh, you know bunny suits. Clean. They're not working in clean rooms. They just have simple mask, simple glove, uh, some lab coats, so they could easily get infected. Well, and I don't know. I don't understand why they talk about vaccination because vaccines didn't exist at the time for these things. But that's neither here nor there. So it's it's a very long article, um, and it seems that Dr. Fauci could have been uh, partly responsible. And this part of the story is near the end of that article, so you'll you know you have to go down there and read it. But uh, here he says. The responsibility of the NIAID and NIH is even more acute because for the first three years of the grant to EcoHealth Alliance, there was a moratorium on funding gain-of-function research. Why didn't the two agencies therefore halt the federal funding as apparently required to do so by law? So it was against the law to do this, but somebody wrote a loophole into the moratorium. He goes on to say the moratorium specifically barred funding of any gain-of-function research that increased the pathogenicity of the flu, MERS, or SARS viruses, but then a footnote on page 2 of the moratorium document states that an exception from the research pause may be obtained if the head of the USG funding agency determines that the research is urgently necessary to protect the public health or national security. This seems to mean that either the, the director of the NIAID, Dr. Fauci, or the director of the NIH, Dr. Francis Collins, or maybe both, would have invoked the footnote in order to keep the money flowing to Dr. She's gain-of-function research. So wouldn't that be just the biggest kick in the freaking pants that the world shut down, the U.S. economy shut down, your lives have been shut down, and if the number of people that they say died by COVID-19 is accurate... That it could have possibly been funded by us, the American taxpayer, and approved by the nation's love, you know, beloved doctor Anthony Fauci, that would be the ultimate kick in the pants. Here's Rand Paul. This is so on this crazy whole though, thing. because
1: if this happened because of the NIH funding and that came from Dr. Fauci, and then this, this is, spreads uh, into a global pandemic, I don't pandemic, watch Fox News, and now he's in charge. Of the response so in the United States from Fox News. The irony of that. What do you make of that? There's Rand Paul. Well, it's even worse than you make out. The person they appointed to investigate the lab from the WHO perspective is the guy who gave the money. So NIH gave the money to a group called EcoHealth. This is part of, of what I just reported from guy that guy article. Asung. They got him to investigate whether Wuhan was doing anything inappropriate in their lab. But if they were, wouldn't he then be culpable? So doesn't he have a self-interest in smoothing things over? I'm not saying he did cover things up, but you wouldn't appoint someone who's in the line of uh, supply chain, of giving the money to them, because ultimately here's the rub. I don't know whether it came from the lab. Nobody knows whether it came from the lab, but who would be culpable? Dr. Sure. Fauci could be culpable for the entire pandemic. So could Dr. Sezank, Dezank, and coach, so De could Dr. Xi. I'm Maybe not I've saying mispronounced that it. I don't know. But you wouldn't put the people who gave the money to the Wuhan lab in charge of the investigation. That looks like a cover-up.
0: And you're not really hearing this anywhere else. I mean, other than Rand Paul and that article from Medium. This has been, I haven't read about this. I read the Chicago Tribune, the Wall Street Journal, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm from Chicago, so I keep up with what's going on there. I'm living, I now live in Atlanta, so I, I try to find out You know what's going on here. And the Wall Street Journal covers national news and business news, which, you know, I like to follow. And none of them other than Rand Paul and their article on Medium has covered this in any meaningful way. Um, oh, I lost my place. I closed the wrong tab on my browser. Um, so it's kind of amazing if that if that's true. It's amazing and it's kind of sad. Let's see, what else do I have here? This is non-COVID. Large U.S. banks poised to loosen requirements uh, to get credit cards. That's bad news. Uh, This smacks of the housing crisis, uh, hopefully on a smaller scale where it can't crash a world economy. But, you know, what what are they going to do here? They're going to start giving credit cards to people who maybe normally couldn't get it. And what they're going to do is they're going to use their, they're going to sh- banks are going to share information between each other uh, regarding people's balances and payment habits. I don't know how much of a privacy violation any of that stuff is, but they're going to use that information to have some different type of credit score for people who are having trouble getting credit cards. And it may be good for some people, you know, some people crawling out of debt or maybe they had some some financial mishap. Um, you know, and and they need to get a credit card again, and I understand the need for credit cards. But some people really, you shouldn't, they shouldn't have it. Just like people before should not have had mortgages, some of them. They had mortgages on houses where um, they were getting a mortgage that was like somewhere in, you know, 90% of, 90 to 95% of, of the value of the house. So there was no equity there. And then when the uh, real estate market bubble burst, suddenly they were underwater. Their house was worth less than what they owed. And that's how we ended up having a lot of these a lot of these problems. So what's going to happen here when you have a whole host of people getting credit cards and then they can't pay them back? They lose a job, the economy tanks. And now who's going to be responsible? Are they going to sell this debt like they did with mortgages, they're going to package them together and sell them off to to other companies. And uh, I just just don't see this as a good thing. You know, people should have to have the capacity to repay their debts before they're given um, lines of credit. Oh, let's see. Okay, there were hearings in Congress about January 6th. You know, you have one side, which are the Trump haters, and they're ir- totally irrational. You have the other side that are Trump lovers, which are equally totally irrational. But here's the thing. With January 6th, this is, I believe, the United States' um, Tiananmen Square incident, as it's known as in China. The Oh no, they call it the... What do they call it? They call it. They call it an incident. I can't remember now. But they call it an incident rather than it's on Wikipedia. Rather than a massacre, which it's called everywhere else in the world, it's called the Tiananmen Square massacre. So, in the uh, Tiananmen Square massacre event, there were. Hundreds, perhaps even thousands. Nobody knows exactly for sure. There's been no official count. And the Chinese government doesn't really admit to it. Um, people were killed by the Chinese government because they wanted to shut down the protests that were happening there. And the, the Chinese government basically shut down all media and produced an official narrative of what happened. And they would not deviate. They did not allow anybody to report it as anything other than that. There were journalists that were fired. There were journalists that were jailed. They removed uh, images, videos, uh, articles from the web, or they have blocked it in China you know, using the Great Wall of China. So in China, the Tiananmen Square Massacre that the rest of the world knows never happened. So this this is a case where something did happen, but they are using the media to their advantage to say it never happened. Now, in our case, with January 6th, we're being told by the media, we're being told by the Democrats or the Trump haters out there, that January 6th, was an armed insurrection that the government was trying to be overthrown, that it was a bloody and deadly coup attempt. This is what we're being told, and this is the farthest thing from the truth. The farthest thing from the truth. I watched it that day. I watched it unfold live on TV. And, you know, I I blogged this again. I I put the videos back up because, surprisingly, NBC hasn't even taken their video down. There's a video... And it's one of the first ones. And I remember watching this as the people broke through and there was a camera crew inside uh, already streaming live video. I was watching the PBS NewsHour. And you just see this large group of people walking through the Capitol in between the ropes. They have the area roped off. And I've I've never heard of an armed insurrection that walked peacefully through ropes, in between the ropes. They didn't even knock them down. They weren't knocking down statues. They weren't tearing paintings off the wall. You know, that's not to say uh, things didn't get out of control with some of the people there. Things definitely got out of control. They shouldn't have been in there in the building in the first place. But regardless, we're being told, and when you hear armed insurrection, when you hear insurrection, when you hear, you know, all this... Uh, coup attempt baloney, you you know, the images in your head are you've got people running around with maybe AR-15s, you know, or, or you know, even just 9mm handguns, you know, um, running through the halls of, of the Capitol and Congress, you know, trying to, you know, find Congress people and hold them hostage. That is not what happened. Let me see if I can Members get this. Of the public have Here, not this is been from allowed NBC in the Capitol for the last 9 to that 10 day. months. Because of the pandemic, this and has been completely cut down. Right now, you can down. see people not on to this mention, video uh, carrying American flags not calmly I mean, a, and e- this this they're even an widely spaced security breach walking the Capitol, between the ropes. Where you have a, they're taking so videos with their phones. They're taking selfies. They're police. taking pictures. And then you have Capitol Police just standing by the side. Your bags are checked and police do a sweep of what you bring into the Capitol. This has Anything to be the most peaceful history. insurrection ever recorded um, in, in history. history. So I, I have to say, I mean, you know... That was the NBC one. Then there's another video in the rotunda. You can hear all the people there, but they're just standing there. They're standing there milling around. They're having a chat. And you got the Capitol Police standing on the side, just watching them. Some of them are just having conversations with people. You need to go look these things up. If you haven't seen them... This is not an armed insurrection. This is a group of people that wanted to protest the government over the election, that believed that there were some election irregularities and that nobody was doing anything to try to find out what the problem was. But the media is not telling you that. The media is telling you legacy media, and this goes, legacy media is not just uh, television, radio, newspapers, it's also social media, Facebook, Twitter they are now considered to me legacy media because they all repeat the same thing. And if you try to go beyond those means, at least Facebook and Twitter, maybe even Instagram, they you know, shadow ban you. They silence you. So and they're doing you a disservice. They're not telling you the truth. And while it, you know, there was there was violence there, there was Definitely one person there killed, shot and killed, Ashley Babbitt. There was another, I think it was a woman that was trampled, and I know it was a person that was trampled. I don't believe it was in the building. I believe it was outside and died from injuries being trampled. The rest of it was uh, a sideshow. They did not die as a direct uh, result of any violence that happened that day. So the media also telling you that five people died during a bloody insurrection, a bloody coup attempt, that's a lie. It's an out-and-out out lie. And it, it's, it's like you see the two worlds. Um, it, and it's, it's pretty disturbing when you're on the outside looking into it. And you have people that just, they they hate Trump so much and they want to believe it so badly that he inspired a coup attempt. Let's put aside, too, that he, on January 6th, President Trump was still president. So it's impossible to have a coup attempt on yourself. Now, you could say that, you know, these people were trying to stop the count, because that that was at the time when the Electoral College was meeting and they were tallying uh, the electors. So you could say they were trying to stop the count, delay the count, all these kinds of things. You know, that's at the worst. You know, did they break into Pelosi's office? Yes. Did they, you know, cause some damage? Yes. But it was not a coup attempt. Nobody almost died in Congress. Vice President Pence wasn't almost hanged None of that stuff happened. None of it. But yet you're being told it did. And you're being told repeatedly over and over and over again until one day it's just going to be, yeah, it happened. It was the insurrection. You know, we're almost there already. This is like the, the Trump fine people baloney where they claim he said that Nazis were fine people, were very fine people, which is not what he said at all. As a matter of fact, he said the exact opposite, but yet you were told from the moment it happened because they were able to isolate that one soundbite and not give you the full context that people thought it actually happened. And that's the power of the media. Off of that little bit, we have Apple, Apple Computer. They parted ways with an employee because a bunch of uh, employees wrote a letter uh, to Apple saying that they don't see they don't feel safe. Why don't they feel safe for this one from this one employee? Because he wrote a book in 2018, where he said some things that they believe are misogynist. Here's the quote: uh, the guy's name is Garcia Martinez, and he did respond on Twitter the other day. Um, you know, basically saying that Facebook fired him because there, there were no, there was no reporting on whether or not he was fired because uh, it was being reported that they just decided to part ways, which makes it seem like it was voluntary. Uh, but uh, Mr. Garcia wrote in his book that um, most women in the Bay Area are soft and weak, cosseted and naive despite their claims of worldliness and generally full of shit. In other passages, he referred to women based on his attraction to their bodies and said most women at Facebook and in the Bay Area didn't know how to dress. In another passage, dealing with fundraising, he said an equity round is having to convince five women to do a 6 with you. This is how it was reported by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Matt Taibbi, uh, writing an article on Substack, he knows Mr. Martinez, and he, went through a, he wrote a long article outlaying the book, what... Garcia was referring to and uh, put it in better context. And that even, let's, let's just say the claims are accurate that he wrote something misogynistic in a book in 2018. There's no evidence that he did any of this stuff at a workplace. There's no evidence that he did any of this at Apple. So, what is the fireable offense? This is Apple just strictly virtue signaling. For some reason, uh, maybe they just didn't want it it to explode, but uh, uh, Garcia Martinez, he wrote on Twitter that he was recruited by Apple. He didn't seek the job there. They recruited him. They wanted him to go there. He sold his house in Washington. He moved down there. He changed his entire life to go and work at Apple. And within days, it turns around, People write some stupid letter and he's out. Now, I've done business in California. California has some extremely strong labor laws. To me, he should sue. He should sue for wrongful termination. He should sue them for libel and slander and just go after them because what they did was not right. He had, there was no fireable offense, he did nothing in the workplace. And the, the the kicker here is Apple's just disgusting statement. Here's their statement: At Apple, we have always strived to create an inclusive, welcoming workplace where everyone is respected and accepted. Unless you write a book in 2018 and say something that might be misogynistic, behavior that demeans or discriminates, get, uh, discriminates against people for who they are has no place here. So they can discriminate for against this guy because he had he made some so-called misogynistic um, statements in a book. They can discriminate against him. How is that legal? It shouldn't be. Apple needs to be uh, called out on the carpet for that, and he needs to get a lot of money. Let's see. we got inflation news. Inflation's all over the place. Um, I think it's a temporary spike that's... Um, largely created by the shutdown of everything in the world Uh, so there's some pent up demand and there's too much money in circulation right now I I expect that's gonna work itself out over the next few months Uh, the inflation we gotta worry about is next year and the year after that when all this money that's still working its way through the system doesn't go away and we continue to have A lot of money chasing too few goods. That's going to be a problem. Back to COVID. Uh, There was, let's see, there was a hearing up in Canada, up in Winnipeg. And they were talking about the PCR tests. The chief microbiologist up there, chief microbiologist and laboratory specialist, Dr. Jared Bullard. He was a witness for the Manitoba government. And when he was questioned under oath, he acknowledged that uh, the PCR tests have significant limitations. He admitted that PCR tests do not verify infectiousness and were never intended to be used to diagnose respiratory illnesses. In addition to all of that, he testified that samples tested at a cycle threshold of over 25, at least up in Canada there, produced no viable virus. And samples tested at a cycle threshold of 18 only produced 44% of positive samples. That means that at a lower threshold of a cycle threshold with the PCR test of 18, only 56% or not only but only 44% tested positive, and 56% majority tested negative, and those people were not considered infectious. Meanwhile, in Manitoba. They've been testing at cycle thresholds of at least 40, which is exactly the same as, as has been going on down here in the United States. So it's impossible to know from the numbers that they give whether or not anybody uh, is infectious. At a cycle threshold of 40, 42 that I've seen with the FDA, they'll be able to find any fraction, any little piece of a virus uh, of SARS-CoV-2, and then you know that positive test then will say you're you're infectious when you are most likely not. We had the trouble in the Middle East with uh, Israel and the Palestinians once again, which we haven't seen this in a while. Uh, you know, Trump had things seemingly under control with the Abraham Accords and and moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. Things were, I I don't recall things being that quiet in the Middle East my entire life. So we have uh, fighting going back and forth now. And there was a video that I saw on Twitter of the Israeli Iron Dome. This this is uh, somebody on Twitter. And it just looks like a bunch of fireflies flying up into the sky. And you get little flashes of light where um, their Iron Dome defense system is meeting the incoming rockets from the Palestinians and just blowing them out of the sky before they ever land. It's it's kind of an incredible video. It's pretty amazing. Uh, let's see. Let's move on here. Uh, John Stossel had a video that he came out with and talking about welfare for the rich. You know, I'm against all government subsidies whether it's for business whether it's for people you know the federal government doesn't have any business taking money from one person and handing it to another but you know in my sarcastic way you know i'm i'm against all where, all welfare unless the ubi is passed universal basic income then give me my share cuz it will please me to no end that the younger generations that have been calling for a universal basic income will have to pay me, pay me for doing nothing. That would make me very happy. Let's see, then I have my story about the nature versus nurture. Oh, there was an article in the Atlanta Journal. It was an opinion piece by a woman. She is a young woman in college. And she's was obviously abused by the education system, perhaps. She's abused by somebody, mentally, because she cannot reconcile being a half-Asian. That's what I am. I'm a half-breed. I'm half-Korean, half-white. My father is from Korea, uh, South Korea, and my mother, her family is uh, immediate family is from upstate New York, and the extended family comes from quebec canada and then from there beyond there it goes to france so i'm half white half korean half breed as i like to say which is not a popular thing these days to say It's, it's just it's so disheartening um here's what she says from her opinion piece on on my most recent phone call with my parents we were lamenting the fatal attacks on six asian women in atlanta our hometown both of my parents expressed grief and outrage over what seems xenophobic hate crime, but in a sudden tone shift, my dad expressed his gratitude for my mother's whiteness. He said, I'm glad mom is white to help you, and trailed off, realizing the gravity of his statement. Now, if, if any of that is true, his parents either don't understand or, you know, are, are part of the problem here. Because. I lived I've lived 54 years as a half Asian. And this girl, she's in college, so she's, you know, gotta be in her lower twenties. You can't tell me people are more racist today than they were when I was growing up back in the late sixties, early seventies. Nobody knew what I was. I didn't really give a damn. People ask me all the time, what are you? Where are you from? What's your nationality? I I never took offense to that. You know, especially back then, there were not very many half-breeds. At least half Asians, half Koreans. In, uh, in, in my hometown of Chicago, in the, the phone book, which we used to use back then, the white pages, my family... Had the only last name Bay in the phone book B A E. There were other Koreans in Chicago. There were Kims and Parks and Cho's and Choys, but uh, no Bays. We were the only ones. And you know, I I I never took offense to that. I never took offense to people wondering what I was because you really couldn't tell. You know, my eyes are not all that slanted. Uh, you know. Uh, Depending on the time of year, my skin's either brown or or very white. My hair's black. My eyes are brown. I mean, I I could pass for Mexican. I could pass for Native American. I could pass for half Asian, which, you know, is what I am. But she, she writes this long article about how she's kind of afraid. Like, is she white enough? Is half white white enough? And her family is like afraid of her getting killed or beaten out on the street because she's half Asian. Here's a little bit more from her article. To my dad, however, I appear safe. I appear inconspicuous. If I walk quickly enough past a racist, they won't be able to place my ethnicity in time to start throwing rocks and punches. I did not inherit the gentle eyes that uh, join in the corners like those of my grandparents. My hair is a few shades lighter than my dad's stark black hair. My skin is tan, but only in the summer when everyone else is getting darker too. Now her picture is in the paper. She looks more Asian than I do. If I I saw her on the street, I would definitely know she's Asian, or at least half. Never once in my life was I worried about walking down the street, unless I was in a particularly bad neighborhood, was I worried about anybody trying to punch me or throw rocks because of what I look like and i'm walking around atlanta here the atlanta area all the time and i'm running into you know just about everybody we've dealt with my wife and i since we moved here my wife is full filipino everybody's been nice there's been zero racism uh, pointed towards us, toward us and so let's say let's say some of the people we've dealt with let's say they are racist it wasn't overt you know, whatever it was, they kept it in check. There there has been literally nobody. Now, I know there's been incidents in the news of Asians getting beaten. Um, you know, primarily they've, they've been in higher crime areas in New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles. And the shootings that they talk about here in Atlanta, I don't believe those were racially motivated. I believe it was a nut nut job guy that was shooting up a massage parlor because they were massage parlors. I don't believe that was an act of hashtag Asian hate. But this this woman here, she had to be abused in the school system to believe that white people are so racist that they're going to see her walking down the street, peg her as an Asian, and start throwing rocks and punches. That's ridiculous. Not not only that, people who are any ethnicity, black, brown, Asian, you know, yellow, as they like to say. There, There's no way you can tell me that racism is worse today than it was when my father came to this, uh, to this country. He came to the United States in the 50s, 1950s. He didn't speak English. He didn't have any money. He had a scholarship to a, a university in central Illinois. So he came here, and the... Uh, Central Illinois in the 1950s was nothing but white. And he tells the stories all the time about his professors and the people he met there, the people that he worked in the summers with. They were all white. But they all treated him well. He wasn't getting punched and getting rocks thrown at him then. You know, and and throughout all the racism... You know, that people like to tout from the 50s on up, it should have been impossible for him to have done anything in this world because he was being held back and held down by the white man, by the white patriarchy. Okay, he's a man, so I guess he could be part of the patriarchy, just not part of the white part. I don't know if you can hear the click-clack of my dog's nails. He's walking around. But my father, um, being full Korean was able to live the American dream, the real American dream. He came from nothing and built it all himself to where he became a multi-millionaire, all using his brain, the sweat of his brow, and his hard work. Anybody who came here after that has far more advantages than he had. This young Asian woman here in Atlanta, uh, I think she's a Marietta, going to college. She's half Japanese. Somehow she feels so oppressed um, that she feels she can't make it in this world. Now, how is that not abuse? How is that not abuse? You know, she talks about identifying as Asian when people ask her. How about identifying as an American? She also gets the uh, concept of the American melting pot incorrectly. She thinks that the American melting pot is exists you know, as a concept to erase cultural and linguistic differences. Nothing could be farther from the truth there. She's been taught to hate her own country. The idea of the American melting pot is that people from all over the world, from different cultures, different societies, different religions, different everything can come here and coexist side by side. That doesn't mean you cast anything aside. You know, my my father never gave up speaking Korean. I don't speak Korean because my mother's white, so, you know, Korean was never spoken in the home. But my younger brother and sister from my father's second marriage, they grew up speaking Korean. You know, they don't really do it anymore, but Korean culture wasn't buried to them. You know, the, the Koreans here in Atlanta, they have a giant uh, community here. Nobody's trying to suppress the Korean culture. Nobody's trying to suppress the Japanese culture, the Mexican culture. You know, or the, the Europeans that came here, the Polish, the Irish, the Jewish, the Germans. Nobody's trying to suppress any of that culture. The United States celebrates that type of culture. We celebrate the fact that people can, you can have a Jewish person and an Arab person living next door, side by side, and they're not launching rockets at each other. They may not like each other. They may love each other. Who knows? But the fact is, we can all live together here. So the problems that she feels to me were created by the media. And created by the education system here, where they don't teach you properly what the American dream is. They don't teach you properly about the Constitution. They don't teach you properly about um, what cultural diversity really is, you know, or what what the American melting pot is. Instead, you're you're taught that all white people are evil and they're all trying to suppress you, and that's wrong. That's abuse. So I had an article. uh, It was a it was a article about the Chinese census and about their population. And I got this one so wrong. It was kind of hilarious when I was reading it. I thought I read that um, that the Chinese population increased their population by 72 million every year. And I was like, whoa, that's a huge number. And so I I posted that every 4.6 years China grows by a U.S. and that's considered slow. I was wrong. It was a decade. So every 10 years, every 10 years, their population seems to increase by 72 million. And I guess it's slowing down. They had their one child per family policy and they've dropped that. They want people to have more babies. But still, 72 million people over 10 years. So, you know, they'll replace us every 46 years, not 4.6. But still, that's, that's pretty fast, I think. US only has 330 million people. So, you know, they may not care in. China, whether or not they can support their social programs because it's a communist nation. There, there's no such thing as true private property. If the government wants it, they can take it. So I don't know how much that census report really means anything. NPR had a story where, um, so they, they reported this without actually reporting it, that COVID-19 lockdowns may be responsible for over 400,000 deaths. Uh, the CDC has, a num- has the number of deaths due to COVID in the U.S. at the time when I blogged this at 578,520. NPR reported on a new study that estimates over 900,000 people died from, uh, died due to COVID. Sort of. From the story, NPR says, A new study estimates that the number of people who have died of COVID-19 in the U.S. is more than 900,000, a number 57, uh, 57% higher than official figures. Worldwide, the study authors say that uh, say the COVID-19 death count is nearing 7 million, more than double the reported number of 3.24 million. So, how did they get this? Um, they didn't just look at people who died of COVID. They looked at everything else under the sun, uh, every side death that you know could be attributed to something attached to COVID. So, here is more from the NPR story. Then, it examined other mortality factors influenced by the pandemic. For example, some of the extra deaths that were caused by increased opioid overdoses or deferred health care. Those were counted as COVID deaths. So, opioid overdoses. Maybe because paramedics couldn't get to them quick enough? Uh, maybe they got to the hospital, and whatever care they received they couldn't couldn't be fast enough, so deferred health care and overdoses are counted in this report as an estimated covid death and it says here let's see researchers at the at u w and I can't remember what the what the research where it was maybe University of Wisconsin, I don't remember. Uh, ultimately concluded that the extra deaths not directly caused by COVID were effectively offset by other reductions in death rates. When you put all that together, we conclude that the best way, the closest estimate for true COVID death is still excess mortality because some of those things are on the positive side, other factors are on the negative side. So they're just they're just taking stabs at it now. They're not counting things that are actually COVID deaths. They're just counting everything. So you know, if you if you take if you take it as, as they report it, lockdown um, caused nearly as many deaths as directly related to COVID as the numbers account, and that should be that should be troublesome uh, and kind of disturbing. Uh, more on COVID and whether or not this was a lab created uh, virus. Sky News. I think this is Sky News from Australia.
1: First tonight, new details from a document produced by Chinese military scientists where they discuss weaponizing SARS coronaviruses five years before the pandemic hit.
0: Huh. The Go book figure. was
1: written by People's Liberation Army scientists and senior Chinese public health officials back in 2015. It describes SARS coronaviruses as heralding, and I quote, a new era of genetic weapons. It says they can be artificially manipulated into an emerging human disease virus, weaponized, and unleashed in a way never seen before.
0: So, kind of sounds like the other stories that that I covered earlier, uh, where the, the the lab may be perhaps funded by NIH was fiddling around with some coronaviruses and trying to make them. Uh, trying to see if they could make them uh, more infectious towards humans, and maybe unleashing that upon the world. Who knows? It's another conspiracy theory, but I I really can't wait for all this COVID stuff to go away. It's just been all-consuming. All-consuming. And, you know, like, I I went to the store today. I went to um, a public supermarket, and at least here in... The northeastern suburbs of Georgia, uh, mask wearing isn't so prevalent anymore. There are people walking around like normal people. It will be nice once we get back to just just being the usual jerks we always are, but I, I just need to move on to something else. I'm just so sick and tired of this stuff. We'll see what happens next week. And that's all I got. You'll see what I can do that's uplifting on the blog next week. I'm always known for my positivity. That's sarcasm, by the way. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Please let me know if you've listened to this podcast. I have no idea if anybody's listening. I'm self-hosting everything, so I don't have any data. I'm sure I do, but I just don't know how to get at it right now. I haven't bothered to figure it out. Send me a line, mail at kevinbay.com, M-A-I-L. Or on Twitter, my handle is at kevinbay. My name is spelled K-E-V-I-N-B as boy, A-E. Iran.